I guess you get started whenever you want. We're just going to roll right yeah. right in from this oh, yeah, conversation. And, yeah. and today, my intention is to be a student and to learn from somebody that I see as a master of the laws of the universe, a master of the spiritual realm. And I asked him a question about community. I asked him to come share about authenticity. And for those that are listening today, you're about to go, you are about to go on an interesting journey, meeting my friend, Bill Andriozzi. You will never forget the day you met Bill. And that day starts right now. Well, thank you. Um, I try not to be a master of too many things other than the journey of learning. So, you know, as we pivot into that, let's really start talking about what you define as authenticity, because authenticity is probably the most strived for word on the planet, but yet so lost in meaning. And so it, it helps to go back to the roots of authenticity, which is really about being made by your own hands. And we get lost sometimes because there's a paradox that exists with being authentic. And you see this very common with music artists and actors, you know, because they could be very great at their craft. But does that mean they're less authentic? Because they just played a serial killer and they got an Oscar role for it. So were they being authentic or not? Are they genuine or not? You know, are they true to themselves, which is another meaning of authenticity. Authenticity has a, quite a few meanings, but... It also has a lot of connotation with it. But the paradox that I'm referring to is, um, and I think some other people have mentioned this before, is that what got you here is not necessarily what's going to get you there. Mm -hmm. And you learn that. You learn that in your career as you're going through life. You start to realize that I need to evolve. I need to change. Mm -hmm. And that change can feel inauthentic. And so the goal and the drive to be authentic can a lot of times be born out of insecurity of change. And that's why it's, it's interesting to see this evolution. So for me, so that way we're thinking about the right terms and the questions that you may ask, I want to focus the, the concept of authenticity to be that a journey of self-awareness and the self-awakening. And uh, I disagree with certain statements that, like even on your website, you talk about, you know, as you find your self, authentic self, the world around you will change. No, it won't. The world around you will stay the same. Mm. Your perception, interaction, and reaction to that world will change. But the world itself is still the same. And so and that, and that's important because a lot of people think that some, something magical happens with the rest of the world. The negativity goes away or your problems are solved or I'm all of a sudden rich or all of a sudden, you know, I no longer have cancer because I magically know more about myself. Mm. And that's not true at all. Knowing more about yourself is that security that you have within yourself and trusting yourself. And so going back, going back to that paradox of what got you here won't necessarily get you there. You have to learn to make choices and you have to learn to evolve. So when somebody tells you, when you find yourself, personally, I never want to find my true authentic self because that almost assumes that I'm no longer going to search. And for me, my entire life is built on the journey of learning about myself, my journey of learning more about myself every day. If I was told tomorrow, okay, you're done, game over, you know, 
that scares the hell out of me. It's like, no. It's like, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. And when I, when, I, when I feel like I'm not learning something, I feel like I'm not lurk, looking hard, hard enough or I'm not paying enough attention to the various variables that come into your life. Um, I honestly believe that you know, that's what leads to complacency. And so, you know, there's people out there, they get very complacent with their lives and they feel like, but I'm very authentic. And so I'm very genuine about who I am. And it's like, but they gave up on that journey of learning more about themselves. And there's a fine line there. I'm not saying that that's always the case, but I'm saying that that can happen. And so I try to use, and we've talked about this before, the, the power of words. And so for me, I always want to be, you know, authenticity is that journey. And if and at in, in the the measure of authenticity, which is often done by third party people that are looking in, mm-hmm. it's really a snapshot of context of time, because at that moment you can be purely who you are, you can be purely not putting up an act and and doing what you know you generally feel at that moment. But if you feel that same way ten years from now. Does that mean you were authentic or does that mean you're not learning from yourself? And if you do change tomorrow, does that mean you were inauthentic yesterday and today you're authentic? Mm. Not at all, because it's all a matter of snapshots. And that's what I think people forget. And so that's why I prefer to use authenticity to be more about that journey, to be more about that, that process that people take that become more self-aware and they become more secure with themselves in a particular environment. And you see this a lot in the work environment where, you know, as a boss, you know, sometimes I have to come in and, and like I want to run some meeting, but I may have a standard process for running that meeting. And that meeting is with, let's say, other board members and we're talking about financial reports over the next quarter. And it's like, so, you know, but these people don't know me. You know, let's say I'm new to this company and I'm just taking over as an executive. So am I being inauthentic if I adapt myself to those people to communicate to them more effectively? Or am I being authentic? Mm-hmm. Depends, right? And that's, that's kind of why I was excited when you, you brought this topic up. So that's kind of how I want to perceive it. So as we talk about it and the questions and things like that, I just want to be able to frame it that for me, it's all about that journey. For Bill, it's, it's all about the journey. And in this first part, I'm, I'm really glad that we can come to, or at least for this episode, agree on a, a common understanding of the term. So we can come from a, come from, from that place. Can you tell me some any stories you have around authenticity? You mentioned some workplace stories, being a boss, being on, you've been on many exciting teams. Do you have any stories from the workplace? I mean, there's so many. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there's, you deal with authenticity at every level within an organization. I, I kind of don't like the fact that they usually put emphasis on leadership and authenticity and that authentic leaders make better leaders because they lead by example. Um, and, but that's so like, if you're not authentic by the time you're a leader, or at least if you're not working toward that journey, uh, 
mm-hmm. of becoming more self-aware and you're a leader, you already have problems. This is something that starts not really at birth, but it certainly starts very early in life. And it's knowing where you fit in in a social circle and knowing, so I have one or two options. I can be my true self or I can fit in and be with my friends. Now, if I fit in and be with my friends, am I being inauthentic? It depends. Some people say yes. Some people say no. It depends if you're a literalist where like, you're just kind of like, you know, and when I say literalist, I mean those are people that are actually deviating from the Latin meaning of the word, you know? And so it's all a matter of how secure they are with themselves or sincere. And of course, you know, the, the Latin terms for sincere are kind of interesting. Um, it comes with, uh, I think it's something like um, without wax. And it's like, and that's because, you know, people back in the day, you know, if you had a statue and you want to sell it, you put wax on it and it looks all shiny and you can hide all that. It's, it's varnished. And so the unvarnished truth, people have a tendency to feel that that's more sincere. And by a literalist definition, it is. But is it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. If the unvarnished you isn't able to help other people because no one wants to listen to you because you're unvarnished, not polished, does that mean you then must be inauthentic, non-sincere in order to help more people? Maybe. Proof of that is in today's politics. Now, of course, throughout this entire answer, I didn't answer your question. So um, you deal with it on such an often level. So you did, let's, let's, I'll leave it limited to professional. Um, but unfortunately, most of authenticity comes more out of your personal life than it does your professional life. Because your professional life, you kind of, you, you, to me, you, so many people say you can compartmentalize it and say the personal you is different than the professional you. Mm-hmm. I used to believe that. Um, I really don't believe that anymore. I truly believe that who you are as a person will will manifest itself in your professional life, no matter how much you you fight it. And sometimes, though, you might be fighting it because it's the only way you can fit in to move up in the world. Other times, you might be fighting it because you're insecure, or other times, you might be fighting it because you just don't know any better. You know, and you just you're taught to do things a, a different way. Um, that's kind of where men and women, you know, where men have had somewhat of an advantage because we've always been told, oh, you can just be who you are. And women were always told, yeah, but you got to act this way. And if you don't act this way, then you're not, you know, you're not going to move up or whatever. And so fundamentally that changes how people, you know, their culture upbringing and their environment has shaped them as a, as a person. So I've seen so many situations. Uh, now, fortunately, when I interview people, um, the first question I normally ask them is I ask them to tell me about themselves as a child. Um, it's almost, I'm, I'm notorious for having eight-hour, 10-hour interviews with people. Um, and I'm talking like I'm interviewing a software developer. Um, and a lot of people wonder, well, why do I do that? And it's like, because what I'm doing is is I'm trying to figure out who they're, I want to understand their authentic journey. Mm-hmm. And because all I really care about, and, and, and most leaders know this, but they don't, they don't use these words to describe it. But they really are looking for people that are v- truly, to use the word in a pun, authentic, um, which really means are they on this path of journey of learning, you know, curiosity, 
you know are they self-driven or they do they have the tenacity and the perseverance to to do the things that you know you know in life are going to come up and are you know can you depend on them to be there you know when things aren't going the way they want to go um, and are they going to be able to make the right decisions under the right conditions and that's true at any level whether they're a regular software developer if they're a janitor that's cleaning the floor to a leader that's going to be managing a team or somebody that's trying to drive a company. And so I see more of this as a test when I'm interviewing people. I start talking about their childhood and I, I start understanding, so this is where you were then. Tell me about where you've gone since then. Uh, another trick question that, uh, that often gets asked is like, if you could go back in time to your previous self, your younger self, what would you tell yourself? And I laugh at those questions because it all depends on why the person's asking that question. There's two reasons why, usually. Mm. Usually somebody's asking it because it's a psychological question that somebody wants to ask, mm. and they just want to hear the answer, mm. and they want to know whether or not you can answer it. And then there are other people that generally ask that question because what they're doing is they're putting all this into an equation, and they're just validating their equation because at the end of the conversation, the data that it's like a like a an accounting equation, you know, where your you know your assets and your liabilities should equal your earnings equity, you know, they all balance. And so if they don't, you know, you start prodding into why it doesn't. A lot of times it might not balance because you didn't ask the right questions, or it might not balance because you didn't understand an answer, or it might not balance because you didn't ask the right question, and then finally it might not balance because they're intentionally manipulating the results. But the good news is, is that if you're astute enough, you can figure out why and ask the right questions to get those answers that then balances it. And then that missing data, that dark matter that you know you had to adjust for, if it's positive, great. If it's negative, mm, not so great. Mm. And so that's where you build trust. Because not everybody is in the same psychological state of mind. Um, so again, although I didn't directly answer your question, because I really, I mean, I run into it so often and, and with every single interaction I have, I, it's hard to like give, I mean, I literally could give you a criteria of like my life and, and you know, whether people realize it or not, they're constantly dealing with authenticity. Um, now, I think a better, a better way for me to answer this question is, have I ever had to deal with that paradox? Yes. Um, shortly after retiring from Microsoft, um, I was taking a role at a, a company that I essentially was hired to, go, to help them go public. And I won't name names of the company, um, but the, because of my, so I have a background in finance and in, in trading, you know, you, know, uh, you know, stock trading you know, financial trading, which is odd for a software developer since I'd been 11. But I, I did this stint, you know, to be a trader and I was a floor trader. And so certified and everything else that comes along with that. And that knowledge was valuable for the company that was bringing me on after Microsoft to help them go public. And the problem was they didn't really know how they wanted to go public because there are multiple ways for a company to go public. Um, and today there's even more ways. Um, but in this particular case, they didn't know which country they wanted to go public in. 
And, and that's very important for the valuation of a company. And being a software developer my whole life, being like, you know, somewhat of a, a leader that I felt that I was being, you know, for me, I always like had that journey of I'm not going to be that CEO. Mm. I'm not going to be that leader that makes those decisions that hurt those people. How could they? You know, I'm going to I'm going to be righteous and I'm going to be authentic, you know, unevolving authenticity, you know, authenticity. And so this particular example, I originally did all my reports, mm -hmm. found out that the best way for this company to go public was to go public, not in the U.S., but in Europe. And the reason why was because the margins were better. But the margins were better only if I did one thing. And that one thing was to fire the most profitable, most revenue-producing people in the company in the U.S. And that's when I had a really stark reality with myself as to realizing that the job of a CEO isn't as easy as people think. Because sometimes you have to make decisions that benefit the greater organism than the organism of the, the parts that are near you. And that was devastating for me because I was like, easy decision mathematically, difficult decision because these are the people I knew, you know, and, and trusted me. And so that was a very tough decision. But the reason why I call that a paradox is because the skill set that got me into that position wasn't going to get me out of this position. <laughs> it wasn't going to solve my problem because I was like, I'm literally going to have to make what I think authentic, you know, authentic to myself. It's an immoral decision. I'm firing these people for one sole purpose, to help the company go public. Not because I necessarily think it's better for the organization. But then also you could say, well, is going public better for the organization as a whole? Some could argue yes, some could argue no. In this particular case, it was yes, but it's still hard. And, and you know, I had, to, I had to almost be inauthentic in a sense that I literally have to come up with a plan to get rid of these people. You know, we're talking over 75 jobs, over 75 people. To, to make that decision. And it wasn't an easy decision. But uh, it was, it, it's another, it, it's one example that I'm trying to give you where there's this paradox of you want to be true to yourself and you want to make decisions that are more to your own moral upbringing and how you feel about things. And you almost have to tell yourself sometimes, well, am I being inauthentic if I deviate from that? And that's a challenge. And the the odd part of that is that to me the day you turn around and you choose to be authentic by the definition of authenticity that most people apply to it then you're letting your insecurities win and you're not evolving because you have to be willing to take on the unknown you have to be willing to take on the uncomfortable and that journey to take on that uncomfortable leads people to that paradox of, am I being authentic or not? And that's, again, circling back. That, to me, that journey is the aspect of being authentic. And, and that's one of the things that, even though I've said it numerous times, I want to keep nailing that in. Always remember that authenticity is just a snapshot. And it's a measurement of that journey that you're taking for self-awareness.
journey that you're taking for self-awareness. Thank you, Bill, for sharing that crystal clear example of living in between those two spaces. I want to ask you something really specific that I'm particularly impacted by right now as a, a, a newer company. We're, we're, we're growing quickly. Um, but you also find yourself in a position where you're evaluating um, different directions that you could go in your life at the moment. We've mm-hmm. been speaking offline and, and you've shared this with me. Um, how do you make a decision about a sales process? Because whether um, when I'm evaluating a, a, a new client opportunity, um, sometimes as a company, we really need the money. Um, but it, it could not be a very good client fit. Um, you may be evaluating all kinds of different opportunities. One could be a um, billion dollars. Another one could be 40, 50, 60 million. Um, just to throw random numbers out there, not that they mean anything. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you weigh these kinds of things? Well, welcome to the world of being a CEO, which is why I could never love to do it. Um, that's one of the reasons why for companies to evolve, you'll find that usually the founders have to step away. Um, because founders traditionally build the company based on authenticity and value and their morals and, and their mission. The problem, though, is that as the company evolves, so do the values and so do the missions. And then you also have to ask yourself, so let's say you have a mid-sized company because the decision is easy when you're a small company. The decision when you have a small company and you have to choose between uh, a client that maybe isn't all that good but he's going to bring you a ton of money versus one that will pay the bills and allow your team to continue to be employed, that's actually a fairly easy decision. Normally what companies do is they find an excuse to get out of it. And what they do is they tell themselves, we probably can't handle that billion dollar business because to do that, we're gonna lose our quality of life and we're gonna have to hire a bunch of people and that's gonna take time and we're more likely gonna potentially fail on this. So they find an excuse, they don't do it and they take that nice comfortable client. And that happens over and over and over again. For what I mean by, based on our topic here, authentic founders. You know, so, and you notice where I'm saying they're staying away from those insecurities. They're holding on to those insecurities and worrying about failing. But now let's, let's up the ante a little bit. Tell me you have 300 employees. It's COVID. You haven't had any money come into the company in the last six months. And now you've got these two clients. One that will keep 20 of your, you know, 50% of your employee working. And if it's right up your alley, you can do it. You can knock it out in your sleep and everything's fine. Quality of life is fine. Everything's fine. But you're going to have to let go of half of your team. And half your team over COVID probably stayed at home, started having babies, started having developing families, developing time with their families, things like that. And unemployment is not necessarily ideal right now. And the other client is one that's going to make you do things that maybe you're going to have to work them a little bit harder. You're going to have to bend some of your morals. You're going to have to do exactly what you're telling me that this billion dollar client, let's just call him that, is going to do. But this client will allow you to keep everyone employed and you'll be able to give everybody insurance. Now, 
Can Are I give you, you my, my honest reaction to that? Sure. Is that I would I would look at the needs of the organization as outweighing any of the short-term pain that we would have to go through. Um, maintaining the jobs is more important. I would probably go with the the bigger client for the for the sake of the group. And I, as I'm saying this, like you really stuck me with a good one. <laughs> Well, are you being inauthentic? I I think my identity changes a little bit when it when there's when more people are involved. Why? You're being authentic. Stand by that. Live by an example. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> A CEO, any CEO that watches this podcast, no brainer. You know, you deal with it. That's the punches you take when you build a company. A founder would turn around and say, or an artist would turn around and say, stick to who you are. The rewards will come later. I could tell you that you lack faith in your organization by not choosing to take the smaller client and working harder on sales. I could also say you're being ignorant if you don't take the job with the, big, the bigger company in order to keep you guys employed. And that actually it's a selfish decision. You're caring about your own morale, but what about the people that aren't going to be to be able to feed their kids because you just had to terminate them? So this mm -hmm. leads to that whole meaning of what's authentic, what's not authentic. And it's not as easy. People that were listening to us right now might turn around and say, being authentic is easy. Just be yourself. But being yourself is not always what you think it is. You know, it, it's an accumulation of things and decisions and processes and morale and values. You know what I've been told, Bill, is I, I've, I've, I've gotten this advice, and I'm not sure if it's very good advice. And we've, we've kind of collectively gotten this advice as a society, at least in the United States and the age group that I grew up in, millennials, is follow your heart, be true to yourself, um, you know, listen to your emotions. Yep. I will tell you right now that my emotions are wrong because my emotions <laughs> have told me to go off on someone or to unceremoniously burn a bridge on, on the darker side, or they've, 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 they've caused me to go down some interesting paths and, and actually by taking emotions out of it, I, I've made better decisions. So following my heart, it hasn't served me that well. I mean, I, I, it's a bit different, though. I, could you speak to that at all? That's a very <laughs> subjective answer because measure better, measure worse, define that. What do you mean? It's just because you yelled at somebody and you burned a bridge. Sometimes you have to burn bridges to get where you need to go. What was what was the real impact of burning that bridge? Like did. Did the person you burned the bridge, did they turn around and, and self-sacrifice and commit suicide because you did it? Oh, yeah, that would hurt. But did they move on to a better client and made more money and now they're more successful because you burned that bridge? Who's to say that was a bad decision? You are. That's my point. Mm -hmm. You are the overall quantification of what authenticity means. And people forget that. You know what's been hard, Bill? Um, I'm a super harsh critic of myself. Super harsh. I'll beat the crap out of myself. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm just admitting that publicly. But you know what, though? That's okay as long as you still love yourself. 
That's the difference. How can you love yourself? That what does that even mean? It means that you can look in the mirror, look at that person, and although you may pass characteristic judgments on that person, and you may evaluate pros and cons and pluses and minuses, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you would not want to be beside anyone else because you trust that person to be honest with you. And you trust that person to be authentic to you at the snapshot moment that you need them to be. The more faith and the more trust that you have in that person that you see in the mirror, Mm -hmm. the more positive things happen. And it's part of that journey. I almost feel like robbing yourself of some of those emotions that sometimes you want to have and make decisions on you almost think of yourself as being less reliable. And so you almost sort of start guessing yourself and start questioning the things. And the problem when you do that is it works for the short time. It does. It works for the short-term period of time. But at the end of the day, you've got to look at the fundamental you. And if you're not paying the price for some of those erroneous decisions that you are thinking about making, if, if you're not learning from them, there's only two ways to learn from them. You either acknowledge the fact that you're doing it, take note of it, and learn from that. That's constructive. Or you act on it and you pay the price on it. Like, you know, hey, you know, hey, daughter, the, the oven's hot. Don't touch it. Mm-hmm. The daughter's going to touch it. Right. But she'll never touch it again after that. But for every single time you tell her not to touch it, one of these days when you're not looking, she's going to touch it. And the problem is, If she had touched it when you were there, you could comfort her. But if she touches it when you're not there, you're not there to comfort her. And even worse, she may feel that she let you down. So she won't tell you that she burned her hand. And she won't feel that she can trust you because she or even trust herself. So and I'm using that example because I know that you're a new father. And these are things that you're going to deal with as a father that you actually deal with in yourself a lot as well. So I actually talk about the fact that I'm not saying you make good decisions or bad decisions. I'm saying that you saying that you make good decisions and you saying that you made bad decisions, you're not giving me enough data to prove were they really bad That's or were they really good. Right. Um, the bad decisions could have, well, the decisions could have been learning, paying tuition, um, but to but to call them good or bad, I'll add another layer. Yes, I'll add yes. another layer to this. Uh-huh. Um, I'll add the spiritual layer. Mm-hmm. Is that um, when I'm evaluating a decision, whatever this is, this is like kind of new too. Is that have not always operated this way? Um, is I'll I'll feel the spirit of God, like I am being pulled in this direction, even if it is. Even if it is a, um, it doesn't make sense in the moment, it, but there, it just, this is what I'm like, it's, I'm feeling called. And it's not an emotion. It's, it's a, it's a spiritual pull. Um, and I, I have found that the more that I've leaned into that spiritual pull and, and listened to that voice, um, th- th- things are working a little better. Uh, does that make, are you following it all? I'm very familiar with the concept of self-fulfilling prophecy. And I know that for as long as you feel that way, good things will happen. The challenge will be that in life, whether it's spiritual, God, life in general, 
one of these days that voice is going to tell you something that you're going to question. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to ask, you're going to have to come to the floor with yourself and ask yourself, so is that right or is that wrong? Mm. What this voice is telling me to do is so contrary to who I am. I don't have faith in it anymore. Or do I? Do I have blind faith in it and I'm just going to do it? And you're, that, that decision point will happen. And that decision point will be a test. But the funny thing is, is who's testing you? What's testing you? And the funny, what's, what's ironic about it is at the end of the day, if you had always been authentic, if you'd always been just learning more about yourself, that decision will be easy to make. The problem with going through life not being authentic, which is now in agreement with what everybody has said on your site, what that book says that you quoted, and one of the, the quotes that you have in your, on, the, on the header for this program, is that life is easier. Life is better. Because being authentic, you're no longer in isolation. Here, and but so there's, that's there's kind a, of where that is. I will describe that as a moment of surrender, though. When it, to surrender to... Um, a to detach from the outcome altogether if I as I detach from the outcome um, that was a point of surrender detaching from how it's going to happen that's been a point of surrender and then strictly focusing on character and and identity Um, and um, the 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 surrender of it brings me like a lot of peace to to trust that God will guide me through any situation through prayer. Is that because you no longer hold yourself accountable? Because now you can blame someone else if it doesn't go right? I'm curious. And what will happen if one day that happens? Who are you going to blame ultimately? Because like you just said, do I need to, the word do surrender. I need to blame anyone? You will though. It's human nature. Do I need to blame anyone or or can you see that life is always happening for you instead of uh, against you in any way. Um, I mean, can God always be working for, for, for the good, you know? But is it God that's talking to you? Don't forget the devil talks to you too. And how do you differentiate the two? A, a deeper voice, a positive voice, a negative voice? Well, the, 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 the line that's drawn, um, is in my mind is the line of, of, of sin. So if, if, if there's doubt or if there's a detour, which is like a shortcut, um, or, you know, if, if doubt is being instilled, if a detour is being instilled, if deception is involved, I think that's the devil. One, one, one problem with that right there though, is the word deception. Deception is a matter of being all knowing and as human, you're not all knowing. So you don't necessarily know deception is involved right away. You don't know until you don't know that deception is involved unless somebody's asking you to deceive. It's almost ret- you almost like looking back. You yes. can see that deception was yes. involved. But it's too late at that point. But but usually if, if like I'm being offered a detour or or if a um, if doubt if it's heavy in doubt and detour, like a different path is being offered, if heavy waves of of doubting my my self worth or place on this planet, or just 
um, old negative emotions are just being brought to the surface and like I'll get acne or something. And it's like, it's so, it's just so clear. Like there's physical response too. on the flip side, the, 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 the positive side, um, I don't know. It just feels more like a flow. It just feels like things just happen more effortlessly. It's not that they require less work on my behalf, but there's more grace involved. Well, there is one catch to that. And that is, you've also heard that some of the greatest things that people have done have come through adversity and fighting off those negative feelings because you have to determine where are those negative feelings coming from. If those negative feelings are coming from insecurities, okay, now all of a sudden you're asking yourself, wait a second, am I being challenged to step up? Or am I going to take the less challenging route because it feels better? And again, this is the paradox mm-hmm. that I'm referring to. I'm not saying one is greater than the other. It's, I'm just saying to, need- to define it Correct. and to label it is, is dangerous. And that's why I like to stay away from labels as Correct. much. And just think of it as if you are truly, truly able to look in the mirror, love yourself. And what I mean by love yourself is trust yourself that you can look in truly in the mirror with your eyes wide open and see that person as a lifelong companion. Then every decision you make is going to be not based on necessarily what is good, what's bad, what's not, whatever. It's going to be based on, I just trust myself. And whatever decision I make, I'm going to run with. And you know what? If that decision leads me down a path that makes the journey more difficult, then I'm going to learn from that. And if that journey takes me down a path that things are better, I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to put equal amount of weight on every single outcome. And I'm just going to trust myself in that journey. And if I feel that in, in the spiritual name of, you know, God is guiding me, then I will have trust that God is guiding me down the right path. And it, and it doesn't matter if I feel like I get acne that morning and I feel like it's bad and it makes me feel uncomfortable. That may be more reason for me to do it because it might be a test or it might be the opposite. Hey, the devil's in the details. Do you think the devil's not smart enough to make you feel righteous? to make you feel grace, to make you feel comfortable. As a matter of fact, in most biblical texts, it's the more positive, more grace, more less frictionless way to go yes. is the devil. Right. So you almost, and, you know, and again, this is just making a biblical argument against your own discussion, is that you choosing these other paths could be the path that the devil wants you to go down. And again, what I'm really trying to say is it doesn't matter because the ultimate, the, the ultimate journey that you're taking, as long as you're not going into it blindly, as long as you're constantly being self-aware and learning more about yourself, learning about why you made certain decisions, why certain things happened, why certain, you know, and certain things are good and bad, learning why those happened and what variables went into that, that journey is being authentic. And that is what they mean by being authentic changes the world around you and that's because you no longer question the things around you as much and more importantly you don't question yourself as much and what i mean by question yourself is i mean second guess i don't mean question in the sense of learning you obviously are always going to be learning from yourself as you become 
your yeah as you go through your authentic journey and so that's really what i wanted you to get out of that is that stop worrying about the the negatives and the positives start more worrying about what is giving me the most information that allows me to make an informed decision and whatever that is you is know, the this right is way good. to go this is good bill and 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 i I, I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate the things you're bringing up. And that is, that really does come in line, at least in my eyes, with combined with a God of forgiveness, where our, a God of second chances, every day I can wake up and choose to believe um, and build in that self-love to, to, to know thyself, but then to add the love component, that one's a game changer. That's a game changer. Recently, um, someone gave me a big ass game changer, which was God trust me more than I'll ever understand. That one really hit hit home. And then when, when that belief got installed, then all of a sudden I became a better steward, like literally of money. I just started feeling more trustworthy, knowing that I was trusted. Um, and we could talk about this probably all day. I also wanted to ask you about community and groups and people mm-hmm. and what it takes to build them. What What is a tribe? What is this group thing? And you, you brought up some really fascinating um, pieces from the top and from being a leader. Mm-hmm. So take it away. Well, um, me being the the scientific-minded person that I am, um, the the heart of a sustainable tribe is actually diversity. Um, and so I base that on genomic thinking. You find that the children that are most natural, you know, to deal with, you know, the immune system and, and diseases, diversity is very important. And we can go to the opposite extreme, lack of diversity, where you have, you know, royal families, back, you know, far enough, far enough back where they were inbreeding and where they had lack of diversity Mm. or even communities where they have lack of diversity um, genetically. I'm I'm referring to genetics here um, that you find that they are more prone to problems because it's harder for them to evolve. And I don't know. And this has nothing to do with intellect. This has nothing to do with, you know, anything. You know, it's more about just the more exposure do you have to a larger number of genes, your body's immune system is better to fight off things. It's just that's a known truth that most geneticists will accept. Trying not to be too controversial there. So I actually think that that's very true in communities. Um, I actually had a question one time, and again, I won't mention the company. The company asked me. How do I ensure that I maintain diversity on the team? And I thought that that was an interesting question because if you have to mathematically tell yourself, okay, I got three Asians, I got three white guys, I got three African-Americans, I got all this mixture, I'm diverse. It's like, no, that doesn't mean you're diverse, <laughs> you know, especially what if, you know, if your hiring process just looks at them and says, okay, this is the criteria to meet it. Well, I found an African-American that met that criteria. I found an Asian person that met that criteria, but they're all the same. I told them, you know, I said the good thing about organiz- you know, products, go-to-market products, is that they are a reflection of the team. And that if the product is a global product, and you are looking at sales, 
your proof of diversity is going to be in your sales. And if only one demographic is buying your sales, you mm -hmm. don't have diversity. I don't care what your numbers say. So true diversity is measured in the outcome of the product. Now, how do I ensure that the team stays diverse, stays multicultural? I don't look at your race. I don't look at your color. I look at how you deal with problem solving. Because how you approach a problem and how you approach coming up with a solution to that problem, I'm looking for somebody that's going to say something that either I don't have yet on my team or that they I've never thought of. And I never even thought of that way of solving that problem. The guy could be completely wrong with his end result. I don't care. That's diversity. But that scares the heck out of a lot of managers because they feel like I need to micromanage this person now or they're going to be disruptive. That's always a key term because the less disruptive the people you bring on your team, the less diverse your team is. So you almost have to welcome disruption, but it's controlled disruption. It's like it's, it, there's a difference between white noise and contribution. And the goal of the interview process is to differentiate white noise from that. And if you can, you know, if you can separate white noise from con contribution during an interview, that is the ultimate goal. And if you can do that in the contribution, you hire the person. But if it's white noise, you just need to be careful. But that's the key. So when you talk about building a community and, and building a, a team within a company, you want to make sure that you build it with that diversity. And again, it you notice the word authenticity didn't come out of any of that because it really doesn't have anything to do with authenticity because everybody is on their own journey. So it comes down to the white noise and contribution and you want that diversity. And sometimes you want non-authentic people on your team. Some of the best marketing sales guys are the most inauthentic people you're ever going to meet on the planet. Now, are you going to decide not to hire them because they're not authentic? Or are you going to hire them because they're going to make you $100,000 a day over the next quarter? You know, that's the problem, right? Let me, let me recap this for the, for the listener. Let me recap this for the listener. So you, what makes a healthy group is diversity. It's biological. Yes. It's science. It's nature. Unavoidable. Yep. Now, as a founder or as someone in a company that I'm interviewing, uh, I'm uh, we're, we're interviewing and, and we say we want to be diverse. We have every intention of being diverse and we meet a black woman who is very talkative and seems like um, she's saying a lot. Um, and we need to we we really need the diversity thing to happen because we don't want to be accused of not hiring black women. So we decide to make that hire and then we make a series of hires um, based on those choices of, wow, they were really speaking up and, and they are very diverse. We have a very diverse team. Look at how diverse we are. However, what I think I heard you say was instead to look at how people solve problems and f build a group of people that are solving problems through genuine contribution, I won't use authentic, a genuine contribution, and take race and color and all of these character traits off of the hiring process table and diversity will happen naturally. It's just science. If you're willing to take the risk that those genuine ideas are different, that's critical. 
So they have to be different. They have to be different because diversity in a corporate environment is about different ideas. Then how do you control how do you control this? And that that part's really interesting to me because I've been in I've been in company cultures where like the CEO was an emperor and they'll go on temper tantrums, they'll want you to do this, they'll want you to do that. Like they say, We need you to come up with ideas. I'll come up with an idea and they shit shot me down. Like they 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 said that they were an innovative company. Clearly not. I mean, I've I've seen ah, uh, oh. <laughs> I've seen it too. By the way, yes. Um, and you know those situations. Again, the a lot of people m- confuse the idea of culture, and they're like, "Well, we're trying to build a culture here, so we're trying to find like-minded people." Like-minded people is the beginning of the end. Um. <laughs> But again, I want to preface this. It also depends on what your target demographic is. I'm sorry. If your target demographic is 30 to 40-year-olds, white males, period. If that's your demographic, then you're going to have to be careful with diversity. Because all diversity is going to do is give you white noise against that demographic. But if you're going to claim to be a global company, claim to be a global product, and you're going to claim to want to you know, create millions of jobs and, and, and have an impact or whatever it is, if you're going to truly be a global company, then you need to have global awareness. And the only way you get that global awareness is by hiring global thinkers, which is different than global races. What's a global thinker? Global thinkers are people, a, a group of people that think differently from each other which means not being afraid to hire a disruptor, not being afraid of hiring somebody that you think might not fit into your culture. Well, maybe it's time for your culture to evolve. And that's a hard decision to make as a hiring manager. I want to double click on that one. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Maybe it's time for your culture to evolve. Yes. Yeah. Maybe this authenticity that you're seeking is no longer authentic it needs to it needs to it needs to evolve it needs to change it's an always growing always changing thing which was back to the original piece you were talking about right right i mean it's truly understanding that in there is a correlation between race and people thinking differently but the problem that you have in today's metrics is that when they go to hire somebody they first make the decision based on race and then they turn around and go, oh, they fit in. You defeated the whole point. You mev- and, and by the way, this is true even for the same race. Mm-hmm. So even if you're hiring, you know, you know, it doesn't, I don't even, I really, I even tried to tell the HR person, I don't even care. I don't even know what their race is. I don't care. I don't ask the question. You know what I care about? I care about how they solve a problem. And if they solve a problem differently than other members on my team, I'm excited. If they solve the problem the same way that everybody else solves the problem, guess what? I am going to replicate them and, and regardless of the outward appearance of their race, because their race doesn't mean anything about their environment and who they are as a person, that is what matters. And if you yep. want a truly diverse product, yes. it needs to have diverse personality. I mean, excuse the word here, but you need, like, you have to prevent incest from happening. Correct. Like, we know what happens when 
um, you know, a, a royal type of family will just continue down a bloodline of brothers and sisters and cousins. We have seen what happens. It causes problems. <laughs> it causes yes. big problems. Yep. Um, and I and to, to to apply this to a company like th- this this is kind of blowing my mind. Can we take it outside of the workplace? Where where else? Yes. What about communities and other places other than work? They're the same. <laughs> where would you Where would you rather raise your daughter? Do you you know? Remember, raising children is all about the transfer of tools, right? And we talked about this offline. And so because the you said because you have because you have the the, the 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 female bias in there, I say, well, I want a safe place. Yeah, but safe also means though that you also have to prepare them for the the rest of the world because they don't live. Pink Floyd put it perfectly. Mom, at the very end of Pink Floyd, the wall, and I remember growing up to this. Mom, why do you build the wall so high? And what it was is it was Pink Floyd the wall, and it was built around a self-defense mechanism that the mother, and this is during the 70s, where parents were trying to protect their children from the negative environment. So the mom built this wall around the child. And what happened is the mom died, and the kid was stuck in this well of a wall that he couldn't get over. And he's like, Mom, why do you build the wall so high? I can't get out of this well. And that's what people do inadvertently when they don't expose their children to reality. And what I mean Let by me, reality is Can I try, can I try this life. one on for song? Mm-hmm. Th- this one on for size would be um, the, 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 the diversity equivalent of a vaccine, a weakened version of a disease being introduced so that we can learn to fight and cope with it. Um, but in an environment where that diversity does exist um, just kind of weakened versions of it so that they have a better sandbox to play in? <laughs> I guess. I mean, but going back, though, dealing with, like, community, and you're asking me about how I like to prefer... First of all, I don't build communities. I live in communities. Uh, I'm not fortunate. I'm not Irvine Company where I can build my own community. Um, but outside of that, I try to find communities where there's more diversity so that way there are challenges. And so not challenges that make cha- life challenged for the sake of being challenged, but challenging being that you have to learn to trust other people regardless of the color of their skin. The fact that you have to, and when I say trust, that includes love because I think trust comes before love. And so when you learn to trust the people around you and, and trust what their motives are and trust, and by the way, it also doesn't mean that they're doing things for your benefit. Mm-hmm. I just trust that what I'm seeing is genuine. Mm. And genuine doesn't necessarily mean good for all. It just means it's real. It's authentic <laughs> to play with words. So to use what I, I have asked, I asked someone very interesting about authenticity. and I did not expect this answer. You want to guess? Well, I don't have to guess. I mean, that's huge. That's like I, I asked guess someone, a number. I asked someone very specific. Uh, Brandon Steiner, he, he bought the old Yankee Stadium, famous sports agency guy. I asked him what authenticity is, and he just talks about baseball cards. He's like, yep, this baseball card has been authenticated. Yes. <laughs> there, it's, it's a signed Mickey Mantle baseball card, genuine, bona fide. It's worth this much. It's just a, it's a list of facts, and it's true, and it's real, and you can trust the whole thing. Unless it was completely forged. <laughs> right. But people are not static. Correct. And the problem is when you apply that same analogy to people, you're referring to probably people that are a little bit more ignorant and less evolving. 
Well, I, I, I imagine the person holding on to their high school football glory days, like those were the best days of my life. I was, I was real. It was raw. You know, I wore the Letterman jacket and, and, you know, yes, it was authentic in the moment, but it, I mean, 30 years later, is it, is it authentic anymore? Well, authenticity, remember what I told you, it's a snapshot in context. So authenticity that was once authentic authentic doesn't mean it's no longer authentic. It's still authentic, but it doesn't mean it's still applicable. Can so it may not people, be relevant Can we anymore. give people some tools here? Like coming in, like taking that snapshot, pulling out the camera, absorbing that light and, and, and taking that snapshot of like the now of who am I now? Mm-hmm easier said than done i would say the i would say that might present itself as a challenge to the average person do you, I, I see you as someone that has some some tools up your sleeve because you you tend to be good at this kind of thing well this the 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 biggest tool is don't worry about the past worry about you know don't when i say don't worry about the past i'm when it comes to authenticating a, a moment Correct. Um, you don't really, you know, because you could be non-authentic your entire life, and that does not mean that you're not authentic at the moment. You could be a con artist, a prisoner, or a, a you know, you, you know, when I say a prisoner, I don't necessarily mean in jail. I just mean a prisoner of your own devices, um, of your own conscience. You could be, you could be somebody that's been authentic your whole life, mm. and then all of a sudden, that doesn't mean you're authentic right at this moment. So it's. So mm -hmm. using, it's almost like a, the stock market uh, prospectus. Past performance doesn't necessarily dictate future and current performance. <laughs> so right. therefore, take a moment to not worry about that as much, but really look at it at that snapshot. At that moment, does the story make sense? Does it, does it feel, and it's going to come down to emotion, does it feel genuine? And what I mean by genuine is, does it feel like that this person is right now, it depends on now, first of all, let, let's put a little context here. Are you referring to how I measure authenticity, the tool that I would use to determine if someone else is being authentic or a tool that I would use to determine if I'm being authentic? That's interesting. I'm curious about the first one, about okay. discovering if someone else is being true. But I was actually trying to give you a layup for mindfulness because you talk about this a lot. Got it. <laughs> okay, well, then let's answer both questions real quick then. So for that first one, the tool that I use for measuring authenticity there is really based on what I consider part of the mindfulness is the vibrational side of things, is that I have a certain level of trust with people. And people, I always have a default large amount of trust no matter who you are. You could be a homeless guy that walks up to me on the street and say you need money or whatever, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust that that's what you're using it for. I will deteriorate that trust over you proving me that what you said is not authentic, okay? Or not genuine. So, uh, so in situations like that, what I do is, because I have trust in that person, I trust myself to make the right decision, so I make it. Mm. And at that point, I don't care if that person was authentic or not authentic, 
I trusted that he was. So therefore, I trust myself. So therefore, I'm confident that at that moment, I made the right decision. Now, if he turns out not to be authentic, then that trust value decapitates. But I don't not trust myself more. Correct. You, you actually probably get more trust back. You, you, give what you, you get what you give. And so if you're more freely giving trust, it just continues to make you more trustworthy. Yes, yes. And unfortunately, with a lot of people, they give what they get, which is vastly different. I mean, if you give what you get and you're dealt you a bad hand, if you're dealt a bad hand, you give what you get. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> That's a downward spiral real fast. Yes, it is. But you mentioned this on your LinkedIn feed just the other day. Yes. And we talked about that. Um, now, the other thing is, how do I know if I'm being authentic? And the funny thing is, again, same exact principle. I trust myself. And I may not even know if what I'm saying is really how I feel at the moment. But I do know that I always say how I feel. Mm. And because I trust that, I know that at that moment, I was being genuine. At that moment, I was being authentic because that is precisely how I felt at that moment, which conforms to the definition of authentic, which is made by your own hand. And the fact that it's made by my own hand and it's made by my own feeling and judgment of myself at that moment. And, it, and, I'm, and I'm secure with how people perceive me. Not that I think people perceive me in a positive way or a negative way. I just know that people are going to have their perception of me no matter what. And I'm mm -hmm. okay with that. And that's why the journey of self-awareness is so important. Because you talked about the fact that, and you mentioned on your site, being non-authentic leads to isolation. And that's true, but not because you weren't authentic. There's very non-authentic people that don't live in isolation. The, what really, it's genuinely non-authentic people that live in isolation. And that's because they're driven by the guilt to isolate because they're afraid to stand up to the image that they've created. Those people have hope. Those people will change over time. The people you really need to worry about are the ones that aren't isolating, the ones that really don't care. And you know what? And maybe in right. some respect they are being authentic because we see them for who they really are. But at the same time, they don't care. And at the same time, does anybody care? Because at the end of the day, it's about the journey of life and, and going through things, which pivots to where I think you want to go. You've had some, you've had some, you've had a, a rare combination of experiences that I, I don't want this to be lost, you you're listening and I like I said am I wrong Bill you're never going to forget this day you're not going to forget this conversation but it's okay if you do it's okay if you forget this conversation don't but you won't you're not going to forget the day you met Bill um, and I don't want it to be missed just how rare of a set of experiences that Bill's had across his life across his career he's gotten to see firsthand how these things uh, affect people and and whether that's um, large amounts of money large amounts of power large amounts of status um, I mean can you, uh, oh I don't know how to ask this but like what have you seen like have you seen people just completely turn I, I hear I hear stories of people completely turning 
when 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 the stakes are are just just massive i mean you know do you just do you just throw all authenticity away once you're just offered the like a huge check i mean i i don't know i, I don't know how else to ask this question but um i, don't know, I feel like you you've seen some stuff um yeah, I'm not sure what I'm asking. Well, the funny thing is you're asking a question that you already know the answer to, which is why it's so hard for you to ask it. Um, but, you know, the the interesting thing is, like even some of the comments you Here's say, the real question. Okay. Is I believe that um, at some point in my life, and the pre-people that are listening, I, I think share a very similar belief, that there is more in store for them and they're on this journey of authenticity. And as these as these layers are are, are coming off as they're growing, um, bigger and bigger opportunities will be, I believe bigger and bigger opportunities will be presented to me. And I, I wanna make sure that I make the right choices once those happen. And so I'm hoping I can learn from maybe some of the not so good choices that you've seen so that I prevent them from happening. Well, then you got to stay away from adjectives with me because I'm really <laughs> bigger, bigger, bigger. What the hell does that mean? You know, or large. What does that mean? I'm no, sorry. no, I do. Right, by the way, I know what you meant. But the reason why I want you to be careful with those adjectives because your listeners are listening for that and, and they hold on to those words. And adjectives are so dangerous because they're so subjective. You know, $100 by bigger, of, by bigger, I mean... The, I know what the you mean. stakes are higher. Again. There's more to win or lose. No, no, no. That's not what the journey of life is about. It's not about getting higher and higher stakes. It's not about bigger and bigger, smaller, smaller. It's about taking advantage of every moment. And life is a series of moments. And it's about being able to comprehend and understand and truly live in that moment. That is the journey. And where that leads is where it leads. It leads to more opportunity to learn more things. And not. Ne and when I say the word more, more I don't correct. mean yes. necessarily you're gonna become wiser and everything else. I just mean more that it's gonna be something different. And if you find yourself living in life where you've, that you've seen that it seems repetitive and you feel like you're caught in a circle, you're not caught in a circle. You're caught in a trap that you're not observing enough variables to see the new things within those same things that are happening. Because there are a finite number of things that you will run into in life if you only observe it at one viewpoint. And so it looks very repetitive, but it's not. You just haven't broadened your horizon on your view to see more. And so when you find yourself in a repetitive pattern, instead of trying to break yourself out of that pattern by doing something comple completely different, sometimes it's just a matter of opening your eyes a little bit more, paying attention to the things that, that you think before you didn't pay attention to. Well, you know what? You've seen this movie a thousand times. Pay attention to the background now. You may have seen that movie 10 times and you've seen the actor with the look in his eyes and the pureness. What about the kid that was behind him and in in behind the scenes or the curtain rod that was behind him? Or what was on the table behind him? You saw it 10 times and you don't know what was on the table in, in, in the background? 
you didn't see that maybe they made a mistake in the video and through the video through the window that there was somebody running by you you missed all that that is what living is about and so when you find yourself in this repetitive pattern pay attention to other details and you'll find that you're actually experiencing something very new mm -hmm. very unique something to learn from so that's if you're going to walk away with anything walk away with that and so every time something new happens cherish that and then look for new things within that new thing and, and, and strive to continually expose yourself to those new variables of information. If you do that, you'll never be bored. You will always be challenged. And sometimes the challenge itself is the challenge, the challenge of finding something new and unique in the same situation. We talked about this right before this thing. The worst thing an interview candidate could ever tell me mm -hmm. was I left my job because I felt like I hit a peak. Well, I left. I left my job because I ran out of challenging, uh, you know, opportunities. And if any of you potential candidates are out there and you end up interviewing me, I'm going to catch you in this lie if you try to spin it on me. But in in reality, when they say that, that's the worst thing you could say to me, because you are the manifest destiny of yourself. You create opportunity where it is. So I would rather somebody turn around and say. I was seeking opportunity and I was fired for it. Or I was, you know, I was going, stepping out of my shell. I was still delivering my job. You still have to do that. I was still delivering my job, but I wanted to break away from that and do something different. And I started to, and I got fired for it. That is the best thing you could tell me. But if you turn around and tell me, well, I asked my boss for permission. He didn't give me permission. I didn't want to get fired, so I went ahead and did it. Well, that means you lack the faith that what it is that you were going to do was going to contribute. And quite frankly, I want somebody that's going to call me out on that. I want somebody that's going to turn around and say, you know what, Bill? I know you said this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what? If it, if it contributed to the organization, the organization will appreciate it. And if it doesn't, you learn something from it. And that's what I want. I want innovation. But innovation doesn't mean new tech. Innovation means new ways of thinking. It starts with new ways of thinking, new ways to approach a problem. And I promise you, if you surround yourself with people in a community, surround yourself with the people in a, in a, in a communal environment and work that you hire, or you surround people that you talk to all the time, if they think differently, you will grow and you will be able to help more people. But if you don't and you're afraid of that because you like your little comfort zone because it's, it's comfortable and it's easy and it, it's less negativity, less adversity. I shouldn't say negativity. It's more adversity. You know, well, then you're going to stay in the same non-evolutionary rut that you're in. And that's okay because some people, that's where they need to be at the moment because that's what it's about. And the hardest part that you're going to have to face, which is very similar to the, some of the hard decisions I have to deal with, is sometimes you have to let people live in that space because that's where they need to be. And who am I to pass judgment to say that what they're doing is not good enough or that what they're doing isn't you know, what should be done? If they are happy, if they are generally authentically on that journey and they are happy, let them be. And you could say ignorance is bliss. You know, and then you may mm -hmm. beat yourself up because maybe you didn't enlighten them. But guess what? Not everybody needs to be enlightened. Not everybody wants to be enlightened. The true path of enlightenment is to accept the fact that you want to be on that journey, which is sad because you're going to find that the greatest number of people you help
are going to be ones that probably would have naturally gone down that path had they been given their own device. You just kind of was a catalyst. And so you almost have to accept the fact that you're more of a catalyst than you are an enabler. And that's coming through self-recognition of the power of what you have. Because I promise you now, if you try to help somebody that doesn't want to be helped, good luck. Mm. Let me take this all in. Thank you, Bill. In a classic Bill fashion, you answered the real question, <laughs> uh, which is great. So let, let me recap this. And I'm so happy that you, 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 get to, you get to hear this today, is that I asked a rather ambiguous question. What happens, what happens when the, the stakes are higher and the money is greater and there's more options and power? And what if I'm presented with corruption? How do I, can you tell me stories about how these things happen? How do I make the right decisions? You, you address this in a, in a way where you're talking about, okay, do you find yourself in a, a, in a, in a pattern, in a cycle, in a, in a, in a loop that seems to never be ending, like watching the same movie over and over again, you've seen it 10 times, but have you noticed that different detail? Have you been mindful of the, of the, of the, of what's happening in a different way? And Bill, I have to say that this is so true. Um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful because I'm, I'm in this period where, um, I've broken out of a ton of those, of those, of those cycles that were holding, that were very gripping. And it, it wasn't until I saw them from a much different perspective that I was able to sort of learn the lesson from the loop that I was sort of like the, 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 the chain sequence broke and it was just no longer like a, it felt like I was no longer a prisoner to that particular thing. Um, and so I just, I, I realized that was true. And, and then you, you continue to, um, talk about, you know, the interview process that you go down and, um, you're, you're looking for someone to give you a, 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 a real answer. Um, just really grateful for, for that, that part of the journey. Did I, did I hear that right? Am I missing something? <laughs> you missed a few parts, but you got it. You got what you needed to hear. And yeah. that's really what matters. Always. Are you facing, are, are you in a loop? Are you stuck in a loop right now? It seems to, that it's playing in infinity. Instead of trying to run away from it, instead of trying to go to the next rung and, and, and just, ignore find the yourself loop, in another loop. find yourself in another loop maybe maybe it's time to be more aware of the, the sequence of the loop a new detail you didn't notice before a missing clue like there's a key right there it's in the box if you open it the keys the key's been there but maybe maybe you're missing it maybe i'm missing it maybe i'm in a loop right now where this is this kind of conversation is the 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 uh, uh, something I've never really paid much attention to that needed to happen. What loops are you in, and how could you look at that differently, Bill? This this has uh, this conversation has delivered. Um, I'm curious if there's anything else that you'd like to add. Anything else on your heart, on your mind? 
Well, definitely so much. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about this forever. Um, it means so much to me because for every interaction that I ever have, enlightens more within myself. And so I yearn for the opportunity to learn more about myself. Um, but uh, what I wanted to say was, is that when you find yourself living in that repetitive loop and you finally find a new eye awakening scene, um, the missing key, the clue. And by the way, we always watch movies. Some, you know, some of us watch movies and we see the guy. We know that he's stuck in something and we know that there's a way out. And here we are yelling at the TV going, don't give up. Stop it. <laughs> Take a break. Relax. Calm. Look, you see it. But when we're in the moment, we forget that. Mm. We forget that that's what life is about. And what I wanted to say was everything that you've described, the, the one thing that you need to learn to love is that all of that is called the circle of life. And so there's a reason why they call it a circle of life. And that's because life is circular. We are in a giant loop. Some people are in smaller loops than others. Some people get more out of those iterations than others. Some people have learned to gamify it and change and warp their reality to see something completely different. And that's okay. It's whatever works for them. But at the end of the day, you're born, you go through life, and you die. And certain spiritual beliefs, certain other things, they say you're born again. When I say born again, there's other spiritual beliefs that say that born again is maybe at a different plane. Some people say that born again is reincarnation. Sometimes you may realize that you never actually lived. There are many people that die that realize they never actually lived. Does that mean that they didn't live? Or was that metaphorical? You know, I don't know. Because the word alive is a, is a human construct to a language concept of a word that we've said, well, our heart's beating, our brain has sine waves, and apparently that's even changed the definition. But long story short, don't fear the loop. It's part of the circle of life. Instead, treasure the fact that you now are seeing what you call repetitive elements. And now that you're seeing repetitive elements, you know what to ignore. Pay attention to the things that aren't repeating. And if you can't find anything that's not repeating, you're not looking hard enough. That's what matters. You know what someone told me recently, and I, I, I actually kind of agree with them, is that novelty or something new, noticing something new slows down time. And the rest, the rest kind of goes on autopilot as you've learned how to react to different things and you have these deep programs that you run that just happen subconsciously but but intentionally looking for the new will slow he told this to me will slow down your life and increase the quality of life um so you can write new programs and um that i mean whether that's that line of thinking seems like it's fitting into this and then one more thing that I wanted to ask you, it's not a question, but um, maybe to paint an example of these cycles of life is our, a friend of mine had shown me um, an illustration, ancient Tibetan illustration at the, there. I don't, I don't exactly remember how it went, but there was this core and then there was, there, there was the first circle and then there was a certain 
um, amount of people. There was a, there was another circle around that, and there was more people, um, and just described this process of reincarnation as moving outward. Um, do you know what graphic I'm talking about? I think I'm pretty familiar with the graphic. Um, you talk I don't about remember that? the I name know, of it. I don't know anything about it. I, in principle, there's multiple representations of that across many philosophies, whether you're uh, a Freemason, Rosicrucian, Christian, Tibetan, it doesn't matter, Islam. Um, they have similar graphics, which is really about the journey of life in wisdom. But before I pivot to that, sure. I wanted to mention back to reinforce your belief about learning something new slows time down. If you ever forget that, all you need to do is remember what it was like when you were a child. And if you remember what you were like for a child, every day seemed like a year. Infinite. Correct. Yes. And you know why? Yes. Because everything was new to you. And as you got older, you started to realize, wow, life's going by fast. When you get 50, you're like, oh, my God, I can't. Re I remember I was 20 just yesterday. The clearest, the clearest memory I have of this is going to my grandfather's house. I would go for three days at a time. But those three days were three days of adventure because yes. he would take us to different places. Um, and it, they lasted an eternity. Yes. So if you want to repeat that, all you need to do is put yourself in a new learning position. Now, there's a, the problem with that is it's difficult to do that. It's difficult for certain people. So your goal as a father is to teach your child those tools to be able to do that at any given moment. So that way, at 100, at 70, at 50, at 20, you can slow time down and you can open your mind. And if you learn to do that, you can do that at any age and you can slow things down and give you more opportunity to treasure life. Is there any value in... in and do you, do you think you need to have to you have to change your programs like I, I i believe i can program myself i've i've learned how to um master certain habits that just on repetition eventually they get into autopilot that produce certain results uh, do you think that's closed-minded i don't think i understand that um meaning like to try and to try and put as much of, um, maybe this is my inner inner automation bias, but like I feel like the more things I put on autopilot, the more time I have freed up to pursue the new. And is there any value in? Um, I guess I'm answering my own question. That's kind of why I asked the question. Right. And, <laughs> and going through some peer review with the program that I'm writing um, occasionally would be helpful. Make sure it's not the wrong. Anyway. Well, the word you used. Okay. I told you there are trigger words that I have that people use that immediately like send off like sirens in my head. And I go, hmm, where'd that word come from? And what did that mean to them? I assume um, it was automation or autopilot? No, it was closed-minded. Closed-minded. That word is so far out there compared to the narrative that you were describing that it almost seemed like it was an interjection for you to say to yourself, I really don't know what I'm saying, so I'm just going to say this and maybe he'll guide me down where it was that I needed to go, <laughs> which is why I asked you to repeat it right. because I knew you wouldn't be able to repeat it the same way and you actually used completely different words, mm -hmm. but you got closer, still didn't get there, but you still got closer to the real part of the, you know, the question slash answer. Um, 
So remember, we're, already, we're talking about stuff like time and right, <laughs> like this stuff is so. Well, remember, time is so subjective. Yeah, always. If you don't believe me, ask a five-year-old. You know, and and what I wanted to say is that you have the ability to time travel and to control time. You do. Now, whether that, that equates to an external reality that other people see, I don't know. I mean, you can turn around and you could go back to the 50s if you want. Does that mean that somebody that's in the room with you, that all of a sudden, poof, you disappear and then poof, you show back up again? Well, I don't know about that. That might be different. It's not really what I'm referring to. But you can travel to any time and dimension or whatever it is that your imagination decides to go, you can go. Um, the the problem is the fear of doing it. The, 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 you know, that really is the root of the problem is that many people fear doing something new or fear taking on some new challenge or fear saying something out loud that somebody else might perceive as, you're a little loony. Really? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Well, how about this? Go back in time and like kill my mom, you know, kill my, my mom, 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 and see if it, see if, see if it replicates and I'm no longer here. Like, poof, gone. You just rewrote history or kill Hitler, you know, or something like that. And it's like, mm, yeah, not the same thing. Haha, I told you you couldn't change time. I knew you couldn't bend time. It's like, but no, that didn't stop you from, from being able to experience the moment. And the genuineness of that experience is really what you value out of it, you know, and what you got out of it. And unfortunately, if you did have a time machine and you could go all the way back to time, the average person, unfortunately, would realize, oh, my God, nothing has changed. <laughs> the right. same problems exist. The same issues exist. The same fighting exists. The same territorial thoughts exist. The same, you know, I mean, there's a reason why Homo sapiens dominated over Neanderthals. There's a reason why. I mean, there's a reason why there's the tribal nature of, you know, women did certain things, men did certain things, and that was just the way it was. You know, and if it wasn't that way, we probably wouldn't have survived. Mm -hmm. So, and you go back in time and you start to realize, oh man, it wasn't better. It wasn't necessarily worse. I mean, it was worse from my perspective because I don't have an iPhone. I don't have internet connectivity and, and my immune system is going to suck. But then there's but actually only one good answer. There's yes. only one answer. And what is that? It was what it was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it is what it is. <laughs> Correct. And what got you here today Won't get will you not get you there. Period. 